And I just, before we get started, just want to say a, a word of gratitude to our, our volunteers, to our worship team for all of the work for this morning and, and for tomorrow. It, it, it really does take a, a team of people and hours of work to kind of put this kind of stuff together. So uh, we're just so thankful that we've got a team of people that do that. And a lot of them are sitting up there in that booth up there uh, making sure this all happens right this morning. So just a big hand to them. So, this Advent season, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is, is what exactly is it that we celebrate at Christmas? What exactly is it that we're celebrating? This past, this past Friday, this past Friday morning, our Happy Land, uh, our Happy Land, uh, Happy Landers, uh, staff and faculty and kids, uh, put on a Christmas program, their annual Christmas program. And so uh, a couple of hundred of, of parents and grandparents and other family members and friends all packed into the sanctuary across the street to watch. Um, and I'm always amazed at, at what our Happy Land teachers and staff are able to put together in the, recreating this Christmas story and performing some other Christmas favorites. Uh, in fact, it sometimes seems as if the parents need a little more corralling than the kiddos. You know, they're doing that like half awkward stand thing and waving violently as if they're surprised to see that their child is in the program. <laughs> it was a great morning. Uh, and, and in one particularly moving moment, one of the kindergartners moved to the microphone to sing Happy Birthday, Jesus. Have you ever heard that number done? Uh, it. It is certainly moving. And after a couple of verses, all of the kids stood up behind her and joined in. I was weeping. It was awesome, right? It was awesome. So Christmas is a celebration of Christ's birth. It's a grand birthday party, right? But is that all that we celebrate? Is it just an annual commemoration of a thing that God did 2,000 years ago? Today's scripture is the gospel selection in today's uh, Revised Common Lectionary. Luke chapter 1. And Luke does this uh, beautifully symmetrical thing, beautiful to my uh, kind of mathematical brain, in these gospels, first two chapters. You see, first, first an angel comes and tells Elizabeth that she's going to have a baby. And then an angel comes to Mary and says to her, says, you're going to have a baby. And then we get to read the story of the birth of John and then the story of the birth of Jesus. It's this kind of beautiful parallelism that's going on. And then sandwiched right in the middle of those birth pronouncements and the birth narratives is today's scripture. It's, it's a visitation from an expectant Mary to an expecting mother in Elizabeth. We're going to pick up right there, and you can find the scripture on the screens, or I invite you to follow along in the Bibles that you've brought from home. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste, to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's see if I can find a place to put this. Yikes. So what has happened here in this scripture here in, in, in Luke chapter 1? Two women, cousins, separated by nearly a lifetime, are joined together by the shared experience of expecting unexpected births. They're brought together by what God has done and is doing in their lives. So friends, consider this morning. What has God done in your life? Can you identify where God has been at work in those moments, those places in your life? Where Has God been at work? And what has God been doing? Because I think if we're honest, I I think it can be difficult to see, to understand, to know when it is that God is at work. Perhaps even now in this season, it does not seem that God is working at all. Perhaps in the darkness of depression. Perhaps in the loneliness of broken relationship, or in the midst of illness, or in grief. It can be difficult to identify how God has been at work or is working because, you know, it is not often that, excuse me, it is often not the way we would prefer that God work. God does not often work the way we would prefer. I've been reading an Advent devotional called Watch for the Light. It's a collection of writings by various authors. And a couple weeks ago, I read this entry by William Willimon. William Willimon is a a bishop in the Methodist Church, and he is a professor at Duke Divinity School. And he was writing about one of the familiar Christmas texts. In fact, it was the text that the Arnold family read for us this morning from Isaiah chapter 7. Amy, if you'd put that up here, chapter 7, verse 14 reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, 
and shall name him Emmanuel. Willimon writes that, you know, most Christians are familiar with this text here within its Advent context, but not within its historical context, not within the book of Isaiah itself, to whom Isaiah is writing, to the people to whom Isaiah is writing. That is, in the life of the people of Israel, when these words are written, you see, in this context, in this time, Israel is in the midst of military conflict. King Ahaz is is preparing to battle the empire of Assyria. Isaiah has been pleading with him to put his trust in God's promises to Israel. In the midst of an aggressor, Isaiah has been pleading for the king to put his trust in God's promises. Right before verse verse 14 in verse 9, we read this. Isaiah says to him, if you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. And then, as our verse said this morning, the prophet tells the fearful king, a king preparing for war, a king needing to defend his people, that God is going to give him a baby as a sign. A baby. What Ahaz needed was an army. (laughs) With Assyria breathing down his neck, God promises a baby. But this is often the way that God loves us, with gifts that we thought we didn't need, which transform us into people we don't necessarily want to be. Look at the person to your left and to your right. God's activity in your lives, respectively, is what binds us together here as the church. We spend an awful lot of time separating ourselves into categories that divide us. Ethnicity, gender, sexuality, political parties, or perhaps most divisively, and I almost didn't bring this up this morning, Dog people and cat people. (laughs) I read this post on social media recently. It said this. This morning I saw a neighbor talking to her cat. It was obvious she thought her cat understood her. I came to my house. I told my dog. We laughed a lot. (laughs) Friends, I want you to hear this morning that that, that we are knit together as a family of God, not because of our preferences, not because we are dog people or cat people, but but because we both believe they talk. (laughs) Wait for it. Hold on. We're knit together by something deeper than the preference. We're knit together by our shared experience. Because of how God has been at work underneath in each of us in spite of those preferences. So what? So what do we do with that knowledge? In our text for today, Mary visits her cousin 
Elizabeth. And, and the writer says that, that John actually leaps in her womb. And that upon the arrival of, of Mary, Mary uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, begins to cry out praises of Mary's faithfulness. And in response, Mary begins to sing. Now up to this point in Luke's gospel, we've witnessed God's fulfillment of the promise that each of these women would be with child. Both unlikely mothers. One is old and barren. The other young and a virgin. And they come together here in their shared experience of what God has done in them. And they begin to celebrate. They begin to praise. They begin to sing. Elizabeth praises Mary and her child-to-be, and Mary sings a song of, that praises all of the work that God will do. Here's this, this, this beautiful and interesting thing about this song called the Magnificat, for that first word, magnify, in Latin. Most biblical scholars agree that Mary's song is about what God will do for generations to come. And yet God's activity is referred to throughout the song in the past as though it's already completed. As Mary sings, she sings about what God is going to do, but she sings about it in the past tense with the assurance that it is as good as done already. But let's think for a moment about what the future will hold for these boys. Because both of these boys born will be executed by the state. John by Herod and Jesus by Pilate, the Romans and the temple authorities. In fact, it's a grace that God gives that these women are not aware of the fate of their children. And they can't know that Jesus will be ultimately resurrected. We know that that's not the understanding of who the Messiah was or, or what the Messiah was coming to do. So what is it that these women are celebrating here together? These two unlikely mothers-to-be have gathered together celebrating the goodness that they believe, rather, that they know God is going to work out based on their experience of God's present activity in their lives. Hear that again, friends. These two unlikely mothers-to-be have gathered together celebrating the goodness that they know God is going to work out based on their shared experience of what God has already done in their lives. So what is it that we celebrate at Christmas? Do do we gather together to celebrate a 2,000-year-old event? A two-millennia-old birthday? Ricky Henderson is a Hall of Fame baseball player. I grew up playing Little League ball and and into high school. And Ricky Henderson is the all-time single-season steals record holder as well as the all-time career steals uh, record holder. A phenomenal ball player and was an upstanding member of the community, um, but he could be eccentric at times. And after the 1990 season... uh, Uh, playing for the Oakland Athletics, the A's finance department, they uh, were trying to reconcile the books. And as they looked at their numbers, they saw that in their accounting, 
They had $1 million more than they thought they should have according to the expenses that they should have paid out to their players. And after doing a little bit of investigation, they realized that it was due to a $1 million check that they had written to Ricky Henderson that had gone uncashed. They called him up. Henderson said, yes, I do have the check. He'd never cashed it. Instead, he'd had it framed and hung it on his wall. The check was a reminder to him that he had made it. The A's asked him to make a copy of the check, frame that copy, and please deposit the actual one. Henderson agreed. Friends, the check is only good if it's taken to the bank. Otherwise, it's just this symbolic thing. In order for its worth to be realized, it needs to be cashed. Our celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas is symbolic unless it is bound up in the death, resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ and what God is doing in and through us. The birth of Jesus Christ is only a wondrous as a sign of what God has done because of what it promises that God will do and is still doing. At Christmas, each gift we open is more than a pair of socks or a new tie. It is a celebration of the gifts that God has in store for each of us. The lights we see colorfully decorating the houses and trees remind us that in our deepest, darkest places, God wishes to shine the light of his grace and mercy so that we might be made whole. The carols and familiar songs we sing are merely a prelude to the chorus we will one day sing together in the very presence of God himself. In Mary's song, she anticipates all that God will do by celebrating all that God has done. Christmas is not only a celebration of a once-happened past event. Christmas is a celebration of the faithful. It's a celebration In that, like Mary and Elizabeth, we rejoice in eager anticipation of what God is doing and will do in our lives, in our city, and in this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, this Christmas, Lord, we ask that you would help us to celebrate with the knowledge and surety of what you have done. And God, that in resting in that surety, we will know what you are going to do. Lord, we love you and trust you. God, help us to see beyond sight. To know the love and grace offered through your son, Jesus Christ. And as we leave this place, to be a light unto the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, just before we get started, just want to say a, a word of gratitude to our 
our volunteers, to our worship team for all of the work for this morning and, and for tomorrow. It, it, it really does take a, a team of people and hours of work to kind of put this kind of stuff together. So uh, we're just so thankful that we've got a team of people that do that. And a lot of them are sitting up there in that booth up there uh, making sure this all happens right this morning. So just a big hand to them. So this Advent season, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is what exactly is it that we celebrate at Christmas? What exactly is it that we're celebrating? This past, this past Friday, this past Friday morning, our Happy Land, uh, our Happy Land, uh, Happy Landers, uh, staff and faculty and kids, uh, put on a Christmas program, their annual Christmas program. And so uh, a couple of hundred of, of parents and grandparents and other family members and friends all packed into the sanctuary across the street to watch. Um, and I'm always amazed at, at what our Happy Land teachers and staff are able to put together in the, recreating this Christmas story and performing some other Christmas favorites. Uh, in fact, it sometimes seems as if the parents need a little more corralling than the kiddos. You know, they're doing that like half awkward stand thing and waving violently as if they're surprised to see that their child is in the program. <laughs> it was a great morning. Uh, and, and in one particularly moving moment, one of the kindergartners moved to the microphone to sing Happy Birthday, Jesus. Have you ever heard that number done? Uh, it, it is certainly moving. And, and, and after a couple of verses, all of the kids stood up behind her and joined in. I, I was weeping. It was awesome, right? It was awesome. So Christmas is a celebration of Christ's birth. It's a grand birthday party, right? But is that all that we celebrate? Is it just an annual commemoration of a thing that God did 2,000 years ago? Today's scripture is the gospel selection in today's uh, revised common lectionary. Luke chapter 1. And Luke does this uh, beautifully symmetrical thing, beautiful to my uh, kind of mathematical brain, in these gospels' first two chapters. You see, first, first an angel comes and tells Elizabeth that she's going to have a baby. And then an angel comes to Mary and says to her, says, you're going to have a baby. And then we get to read the story of the birth of John and then the story of the birth of Jesus. It's this kind of beautiful parallelism that's going on. And then sandwiched right in the middle of those birth pronouncements and the birth narratives is today's scripture. It's, it's a visitation from an expectant Mary to an expecting mother in Elizabeth. We're going to pick up right there, and you can find the scripture on the screens. I invite you to follow along in the Bibles that you've brought from home. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's see if I can find a place to put this. Yikes. So what has happened here in this scripture here in, in, in Luke chapter 1? Two women, cousins separated by nearly a lifetime, are joined together by the shared experience of expecting unexpected births. They're brought together by what God has done and is doing in their lives. So friends, consider this morning. What has God done in your life? Can you identify where God has been at work in those moments those places in your life, where has God been at work and what has God been doing? Because I think if we're honest, I I think it can be difficult to see, to understand, to know when it is that God is at work. Perhaps even now in this season, it does not seem that God is working at all. Perhaps in the darkness of depression, Perhaps in the loneliness of broken relationship or in the midst of illness or in grief. It can be difficult to identify how God has been at work or is working because, you know, it is not often that, excuse me, it is often not the way we would prefer that God work. God does not often work the way we would prefer. I've been reading an Advent devotional called Watch for the Light. It's a collection of writings by various authors. And a couple weeks ago, I read this entry by William Willimon. William Willimon is a a bishop in the Methodist Church, and he is a professor at Duke Divinity School. And he was writing about one of the familiar Christmas texts. In fact, it was the text that the Arnold family read for us this morning from Isaiah chapter 7. Amy, if you'd put that up here, chapter 7, verse 14 reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, 
and shall name him Emmanuel. Willimon writes that, you know, most Christians are familiar with this text here within its Advent context, but not within its historical context, not within the book of Isaiah itself, to whom Isaiah is writing, to the people to whom Isaiah is writing. That is, in the life of the people of Israel, when these words are written, you see, in this context, in this time, Israel is in the midst of military conflict. King Ahaz is is preparing to battle the empire of Assyria. Isaiah has been pleading with him to put his trust in God's promises to Israel. In the midst of an aggressor, Isaiah has been pleading for the king to put his trust in God's promises. Right before verse verse 14 in verse 9, we read this. Isaiah says to him, if you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. And then, as our verse said this morning, the prophet tells the fearful king, a king preparing for war, a king needing to defend his people, that God is going to give him a baby as a sign. A baby. What Ahaz needed was an army. With Assyria breathing down his neck, God promises a baby. But this is often the way that God loves us with gifts that we thought we didn't need which transform us into people we don't necessarily want to be. Look at the person to your left and to your right. God's activity in your lives, respectively, is what binds us together here as the church. We spend an awful lot of time separating ourselves into categories that divide us. Ethnicity, gender, sexuality, political parties, or perhaps most divisively, and I almost didn't bring this up this morning, dog people and cat people. I read this post on social media recently. It said this. This morning I saw a neighbor talking to her cat. It was obvious she thought her cat understood her. I came to my house. I told my dog. We laughed a lot. (laughs) Friends, I want you to hear this morning that, that we are knit together as a family of God, not because of our preferences, not because we are dog people or cat people, but, but because we both believe they talk. <laughs> Wait for it. Hold on. We're knit together by something deeper than the preference. We're knit together by our shared experience because of how God has been at work underneath in each of us in spite of those preferences So what? So what do we do with that knowledge? In our text for today, Mary visits her cousin 
Elizabeth. And, and the writer says that, that John actually leaps in her womb. And that upon the arrival of, of Mary, Mary uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, begins to cry out praises of Mary's faithfulness. And in response, Mary begins to sing. Now up to this point in Luke's gospel, we've witnessed God's fulfillment of the promise that each of these women would be with child. Both unlikely mothers. One is old and barren. The other young and a virgin. And they come together here in their shared experience of what God has done in them. And they begin to celebrate. They begin to praise. They begin to sing. Elizabeth praises Mary and her child-to-be, and Mary sings a song of, that praises all of the work that God will do. Here's this, this, this beautiful and interesting thing about this song called the Magnificat, for that first word, magnify, in Latin. Most biblical scholars agree that Mary's song is about what God will do for generations to come. And yet God's activity is referred to throughout the song in the past as though it's already completed. As Mary sings, she sings about what God is going to do, but she sings about it in the past tense with the assurance that it is as good as done already. But let's think for a moment about what the future will hold for these boys. Because both of these boys born will be executed by the state. John by Herod and Jesus by Pilate, the Romans and the temple authorities. In fact, it's a grace that God gives that these women are not aware of the fate of their children. And they can't know that Jesus will be ultimately resurrected. We know that that's not the understanding of who the Messiah was or, or what the Messiah was coming to do. So what is it that these women are celebrating here together? These two unlikely mothers-to-be have gathered together celebrating the goodness that they believe, rather, that they know God is going to work out based on their experience of God's present activity in their lives. Hear that again, friends. These two unlikely mothers-to-be have gathered together celebrating the goodness that they know God is going to work out based on their shared experience of what God has already done in their lives. So what is it that we celebrate at Christmas? Do do we gather together to celebrate a 2,000-year-old event? A two-millennia-old birthday? Ricky Henderson is a Hall of Fame baseball player. I grew up playing Little League ball and, and into high school. And Ricky Henderson is the all-time single-season steals record holder as well as the all-time career steals uh, record holder. A phenomenal ball player and was an upstanding member of the community, um, but he could be eccentric at times. And after the 1990 season... Uh, uh, playing for the Oakland Athletics, the A's finance department, they uh, were trying to reconcile the books. And as they looked at their numbers, they saw that in their accounting, 
They had $1 million more than they thought they should have according to the expenses that they should have paid out to their players. And after doing a little bit of investigation, they realized that it was due to a $1 million check that they had written to Ricky Henderson that had gone uncashed. They called him up. Henderson said, yes, I do have the check. He'd never cashed it. Instead, he'd had it framed and hung it on his wall. The check was a reminder to him that he had made it. The A's asked him to make a copy of the check, frame that copy, and please deposit the actual one. Henderson agreed. Friends, the check is only good if it's taken to the bank. Otherwise, it's just this symbolic thing. In order for its worth to be realized, it needs to be cashed. Our celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas is symbolic unless it is bound up in the death, resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ and what God is doing in and through us. The birth of Jesus Christ is only a wondrous as a sign of what God has done because of what it promises that God will do and is still doing. At Christmas, each gift we open is more than a pair of socks or a new tie. It is a celebration of the gifts that God has in store for each of us. The lights we see colorfully decorating the houses and trees remind us that in our deepest, darkest places, God wishes to shine the light of his grace and mercy so that we might be made whole. The carols and familiar songs we sing are merely a prelude to the chorus we will one day sing together in the very presence of God himself. In Mary's song, she anticipates all that God will do by celebrating all that God has done. Christmas is not only a celebration of a once-happened past event. Christmas is a celebration of the faithful. It's a celebration in that, like Mary and Elizabeth, we rejoice in eager anticipation of what God is doing and will do in our lives, in our city, and in this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, this Christmas, Lord, we ask that you would help us to celebrate with the knowledge and surety of what you have done. And God, that in resting in that surety, we will know what you are going to do. Lord, we love you and trust you. God, help us to see beyond sight. To know the love and grace offered through your son, Jesus Christ. And as we leave this place, to be a light unto the world. And all God's people said, Amen.